Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here okay, we everybody, go. Oh, so oh, awesome. 78 of the podcast. It is a the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Monday. January 10th, 2021, people. I hope everybody is doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. And I hope everybody is ready for a national championship game edition of the Aerator Sports Podcast. So much to get into on today's show. Obviously, on Friday, we did the first look. I kind of broke down both sides of this game, win, loss, what needs to happen. Today, what I want to do is I want to dive even deeper. Today, what I want to do is talk about what is at stake for both programs if they were to win and of course if they were to lose from there I will give my national championship game pick gonna be interesting I actually have a lot of thoughts some thoughts over the weekend I don't know if I changed have I not changed where am I gonna go who am I gonna pick is it gonna be Georgia gonna be Bama we'll talk about that and finally I will take a quick break and I will do one non-national championship game topic and that is Caleb Williams uh, I had some thoughts on Caleb Williams over the weekend. I talked to some, some people about Caleb Williams over the weekend, and I have decided that there is one program, assuming that he does not go back to Oklahoma, there is one program that you as a fan want him to go to. It's a very interesting conversation. It has to do with NIL versus development versus this versus that and the future of college football. So we'll talk Caleb Williams in a minute. But with that said, let's get to... The topic of the day. And the topic of the day is we have ourselves a national championship game. Georgia versus Alabama. Nick Saban versus Kirby Smart. Teacher versus pupil. Alabama fans would tell you father versus son. That is right. What a game that we have coming up tonight, 8 o'clock Eastern, Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. I am so fired up for this game, if you cannot tell. So excited. And so let's break this down. And as I said a minute ago, look, Friday, I did the deep dive. I talked about run game this versus pass game that. I talked about this stat. I talked about that stat. And we'll get into some more of that in a minute when I make my national championship game pick. But in the meantime, what I want to do is I want to start by talking about both of these teams and what a win or a loss would mean for both programs and specifically for both coaches, Kirby Smart and Nick Saban. 
I'm going to go ahead and start with Georgia. I'm going to go ahead and start with Kirby Smart for obvious reasons. Hate to bury the lead, but I don't know how much there is in terms of legacy on the line for Nick Saban here when it comes to the Alabama perspective of things. If he doesn't win his eighth national championship on Monday night, I don't think anybody's going to be questioning him and talking about what his future is and he lost his fastball. No, he has had an incredible season with a young team coming off a national championship. And so this is just the cherry on top for Nick, uh, a cherry on top of the Sunday for Nick Saban. If he were not to win this game, if he were to win this game and if he were not to win this game, we know there isn't a ton that is going to change in terms of how we feel about Nick Saban. But Kirby Smart, but Kirby Smart. We know that there is a ton that Kirby Smart has on the line coming into this game. And so let's talk about what this game means for the Georgia program and for Kirby Smart as a whole as they get set to play for their second national championship in five years. Because I'm a glasses half full guy, let's start with the positive. Let's start with what does this mean if Kirby Smart wins the national championship game on Monday night? if he fulfills the prophecy that Aaron Torres put out there into the ethos back in August when I picked Georgia to win the national championship, how about my dogs? What does it mean for Kirby Smart? What does it mean for Georgia? Well, first of all, what I would say is this. I think Kirby Smart becomes a much more likable figure. I know that has nothing to do with football, this, that, the other thing. But I do think that like we kind of sort of rally around Kirby Smart if he wins this game. And I know it sounds crazy, right? Kirby is not Mr. Personality. He's not Mr. Dynamicism, if that's even a word. He's not, you know, he's not uh, whoever. I'm trying to think of the interesting characters that we've had. He's not Les Miles. He's not Barry Switzer. He's not Dabo. He's not full of energy. He's not interesting outside of football. But I do think we rally around him for two reasons. One, it's because... I think there's a lot of people that are tired of seeing Alabama win all these national championships. Now, I don't know if I agree with that. We're going to talk about it with Nick Saban in a minute, and we'll certainly talk about it if he wins on Monday night. I think we need to just enjoy and appreciate Nick Saban for everything he is and everything he's done in this sport. But I do think there's a lot of people that are going to sit there and say, ding dong, the witch is dead if Nick Saban were to, were to lose this game. Now, I don't think he's, the, the program's dead. I don't think he's dead. But I think for one year, we get joy in seeing that Nick Saban isn't the best, that somebody has beaten him in ways like Dabo Sweeney beat him a few years ago in Santa Clara, like Dabo Sweeney beat him a few years before that with Deshaun Watson. And I do think a lot of people do not want to see Nick Saban win a national championship once again. But beyond that, I think there's something kind of an, on a personal level with Kirby Smart where I do think people would be happy for him if Georgia won the national championship. And I, again, I know he's kind of the SEC's punching bag, but don't we do this all the time in sports? We pick on somebody, we pick on somebody, we pick on somebody, we say they stink, we say they can't do this, we say they can't do that, and then they do it, and we love them. That kind of happened with Jim Harbaugh this year, didn't it? We made fun of Jim Harbaugh. Can't get over the top, can't win the games that matter. Here's his record versus 0-10 opponents. Here's his record versus Michigan State. Here's his record versus Ohio State. Then he beat Ohio State. Then he won the Big Ten, and everybody loves him. He might be an NFL head coach in two weeks or two days because everybody loves Jim Harbaugh, and I really got the sense that by the end of the season, everybody really loved the Jim Harbaugh story of beating his head against the wall, beating his head against the wall, beating his head against the wall, finally gets the win, finally beats Ohio State, finally does it for his university, and I think it's going to be the same with Kirby Smart. 
for years, stayed with Nick Saban, stayed with Nick Saban, stayed with Nick Saban, helped him build this dynasty, helped him build this dynasty, finally gets the perfect job for him to leave, can't get over the hump, can't get over the hump, can't get over the hump, and then he finally does. But beyond that, I don't think it's just about, uh, you know, confetti falling on Kirby Smart and him doing whatever. I think this is huge. If Georgia were to win this game for the entire Georgia football program and maybe for college football as a whole in terms of a second program consistently elevating to the level of Alabama. For a few years, we thought it was going to be Ohio State and they never really got there where they were kind of on equal footing with Alabama. For a few years, Clemson got there, but I think they dropped off a little bit here over the last 18 months or so. But is Georgia that team that is finally on the level of Alabama, specifically in the SEC? Because I think you can make that case. Because right now, what is Georgia as a football program? Georgia as a football program is basically in that tier of teams that's really, 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 really good, but they're not Bama, right? Like right now, in college football, what is the hierarchy? It's Bama, way up top. And then below them, it's probably Clemson, who's been in the title hunt for about a six, seven-year stretch, won two national championships over that stretch. I think Ohio State's probably on the level of Clemson. And then below that, you have four, five, six programs that are really, really, really good, but they're not Bama. And right now, they're not even really, uh, you, can't, you can't, I don't want to say they're not close, but you can't put them in the same conversation. Oklahoma's there. Multiple playoff appearances, multiple Big 12 titles, really fun program. They ain't Bama. Notre Dame, I talk about Notre Dame all the time. I think Brian Kelly, for all the criticism, did about as well as anybody could at Notre Dame in this era of college football, but they ain't Bama. Same with Michigan, 10 win seasons consistently, can't get over the hump, finally win the Big Ten, but we saw the other day against Georgia, they ain't anywhere close to the top of the sport, and I think Georgia is somewhere kind of in that conversation. Really, 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 really good, but they ain't there yet. They ain't Bama, and I do think if they were to win this game, it completely changes everything for them because now there's nothing you can hold against them, right? Because if coming into this game, the one thing you can hold against Georgia, whether it's in recruiting, whether it's in the media, whether it's in coverage, whatever, they're really good, but they ain't Bama. And so why this is important is because Kirby Smart is already recruiting at an insane level. But if you don't think that he's not losing a kid or two or three or four or however many it is to Bama, you're out of your mind. I mean, I'm, Ryan Fowler is my buddy, host, uh, you know, radio tied 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. And I remember him telling me a year or two ago, they had a kid on the show uh, who committed to Alabama. I forget what player it was. I don't know who it was off the top of my head. But basically, the kid said on radio, uh, he asked him why he picked Alabama over Georgia. And he goes, why would I drink Diet Pepsi when I could drink the real thing? Why would I drink Diet Coke when I could drink the Why would I go to the school that's almost Bama? but not quite. Well, can you imagine now how well Kirby Smart is recruiting? Everything that he's built this program into. If he now gets over the hump and beats Bama, oh my goodness, it's on. Every recruit in the country, there's nothing that you can't sell to a kid now because you're already playing in the SEC. You're already winning a ton of games. You're already uh, competing at the highest levels of the sport. Now, you can come here and win a national championship. Let me just use this as an example. Caleb Williams, we're going to talk about him later in the show. What's the big knock on Caleb Williams as the uh, conversation about potentially Georgia being a factor in his recruitment? Well, the conversation is, you go there, eh, 
yeah, you know, you're, you're going to be really good. But, but they haven't won the national championship. Now, maybe that's the pitch to, to Caleb Williams. Come here and put us over the top. Well, now Caleb Williams, he knows he can come and win a national championship. Every kid in America knows they can come to Georgia and win a national championship. And so that's what I think from a positive perspective, that's what it does for Georgia. For at least one year, you are on the level of Bama. Nobody can tell you otherwise. Nobody can, You beat Bama on a neutral field in a game that matters. You can go anywhere. You can recruit anybody. You can sell anything. There's nobody that can tear you down in terms of negative recruiting. Those are the positives, and that is what is at stake for Georgia if they were to win this game. There's just one problem, though. What happens if Georgia loses this game because, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, do I think that becomes a fascinating conversation. First of all, you're exactly what I just said you were a minute ago. You're one of those really, really, really good programs, but you ain't Bama. You ain't Bama. You'll never be Bama. You'll always be Nick Saban's son. I'm not saying that's fair, but I am saying that is the conversation. Really, really, really good program, but you're not quite there. And I do think at some point it does, if you can't eventually get over the hump, and I dropped the stat on Friday's show, Kirby Smart is currently 0-5 against Alabama right now this second. Obviously, if he were to lose Monday, he'd be 0-6. And the concern if you're a Georgia fan, the concern if you're going into recruiting is the games are getting more one-sided, right? You know, the, the, the first matchup was the iconic national championship game, second and 26, you're up at halftime, you lose, final play of the game, Tua to Devontae Smith. Well, that was year two. That was mostly Mark Rick's players, and we're going to get there. We'll get over the hump. Then the next year happens. You're in the SEC title game. You have a chance to beat them. You're up at halftime. Tua gets hurt. They bring in Jalen Hurts, and Jalen Hurts leads him to a victory. But again, close game. Can't quite get over the hump. But the last three times coming into Monday night, those games haven't been all that competitive. It wasn't competitive last year when you played in Tuscaloosa and Mac Jones threw the ball all over you. It wasn't competitive, um, you know, this, this past time in the SEC championship game. And so now if you lose once again as Kirby Smart to Nick Saban, I mean, it's just becoming increasingly harder to explain away these losses and explain away, um, you know, everything that has happened in this rivalry since Kirby Smart took over. By the way, I think I said that Kirby Smart was 0-5 against Nick Saban coming into uh, Monday night. He is 0-4. It's also worth noting, though, that in the year that LSU won the national championship, they lost to LSU in dominant fashion as well. And so really, over the last five years, Alabama, the one team that ascended to Alabama's level, you lost to all of them. And that is why I think that is where you start to become concerned if you're a Georgia fan. Because, again, you lose to Bama in year two. Well, it's Mark Rick's players. You lose to Bama in year three. Well, we're on the cusp. We're right there. We're going to get over the hump. Well, now guess what? It ain't year two anymore. It ain't year three anymore. It is year six for Kirby Smart in Athens. And you are officially out of excuses if you do not win this game. And I do think the conversation becomes, will you ever win one of these games? Because if you win this game, then you've literally, you've, you've knocked off everybody there is to knock off. You knock off Bama today. You, or this, yeah, today, tonight, whatever. You beat Clemson earlier in the year. You beat uh, Michigan in the playoff. You beat Notre Dame twice over this run. You beat Oklahoma. There, there's nobody else left to topple if you're Georgia. But if you lose this game, 
then it becomes, I mean, I don't know, right? It becomes, it's year six now, and you cannot win the games that matter. Can't beat Nick Saban. Can't beat Ed Orgeron when he had one of the best teams in college football history, and that would be my concern. Because, again, that starts to get used against you in recruiting because it's now year six, is not year three. And you start to look at some of the other programs that Georgia consistently recruits against. Alabama, you know they're already using it against you. Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M, just signed the number one class in the country. Well, that dude just won a national title. That dude has a national title. That is what he's selling, and he can continue to sell that against Georgia when he's going head-to-head with Georgia for recruits. Uh, Dabo Sweeney's won multiple national titles. He can continue to sell that. Ryan Day, Lincoln Riley, they at least play a fun system. Billy Napier, Josh Heupel, they're on the way up. They're not even close, but come here and be part of a team that beats Georgia. You don't want to go there. They don't win the big games anyway. And so that is what Kirby Smart has to go against, and that is the negativity that is going to hover over this program for the next eight months if he does not win this game. And I think it's longer than eight months. This is where I would be concerned if I was a Georgia fan, is that I don't think this loss just lingers into August, and then we move past it, and here's why. It's because Bryce Young's only a sophomore. Bryce Young is coming back. He's technically a redshirt freshman, but you get the point. He's in his second year. He's got one year left before he can leave for the NFL. Bryce Young still has another year. And so if you lose this game, and you lose maybe even in in dominant fashion, you know what then happens? It becomes not only a one-year cycle of, (laughs) you can't get past Bama, let's talk about it, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, into SEC media days. It becomes, you got to spend all of the 2022 season now worrying about, we're going to have to play Bama at some point. They have the guy that just beat us twice. How are we going to get over the hump? And I just think that could be a lot of negativity around this program. Finally, what I would say, I have one other thought on Georgia and this game and the legacy for Kirby Smart. And that's this. I do think that, let let, let me even backtrack. I think that for the most part, I actually think Georgia fans appreciate Kirby Smart. Yes, they're frustrated in the moment, can't beat Bama, whatever. But I think they understand this thing is better than where it was. And I know if Kirby Smart loses to Nick Saban on on Monday night, there's going to be some stat about, well, this is Kirby Smart's record through six years versus Mark Richt, and it's really no different. As somebody who lived both through both eras, I'm telling you right now it's different, okay? Georgia is right on the cusp. You can argue that right now they're the second-best program in college football with the way that Clemson seems to be descending with this transfer portal stuff, with the way Ohio State has to completely revamp its roster in the offseason, its defense in the offseason, with the way that Michigan might not even have a head coach in a couple weeks, with the way that Brian Kelly just left Notre Dame. So I think that for the most part, even if you're to lose – I do think there is a mourning period, there's a frustrating period, and all the things I said are true. It's still going to hurt you in recruiting. You still have to deal with it for eight, nine months going into next season, and then three, four months during the season knowing you're going to have to face Bryce Young at one point. But I do think Georgia fans, for the most part, are they understand where they are, and they're, for the most part, appreciative. Why do I bring it up? I do think there is one situation that could happen on Monday night that could turn Mark, Kirby Smart the fan base on Kirby Smart forever, and that's this. And we'll talk about it more when we get to the preview of the game itself. But I had this thought on Saturday when I was hosting my Fox Sports Radio show with Jason Martin. He brought it up. I thought it was a great point, and I want to expand on it. And that's this. I think there is one circumstance in which Kirby Smart could lose the fan base forever on Monday night, and that's this. If they fall down early, 
if Bryce Young is clearly the better quarterback than Stetson Bennett, it's not even close, it's not even competitive, and he sticks with Stetson Bennett through the end of the game, or at the very least with Stetson Bennett um, long enough where it's not even in doubt, and then maybe you put in JT Daniels late when the game is in doubt. Why do I bring that up? It is because I think that if Alabama wins this game 30-24 to and Stetson Bennett plays pretty well, I think Georgia fans can go into the offseason saying, we were, we were clearly the second best team this year, we're the second best program in college football, and that dude over there in Tuscaloosa is just a cyborg, and there's nothing we can do about it. I think Georgia fans, I don't want to say they can live with it, but you can internalize it. The one thing that they can't live with is if they lose on Monday and they know their head coach didn't do every single thing that he could do to win this game. And every single thing may include a quarterback change in the middle of the game. And I'm not saying it's going to happen, and I'm not rooting against Stetson Bennett, but I did talk about this after the SEC championship game three or four weeks ago. I said, look, Kirby Smart, he owes it to his team to do everything he can to help to win this game. And at some point in that game against Alabama, they needed a jolt. They needed an answer. They needed something different because what they were doing was not working, okay? And so I bring it up because of the fact that if you have JT Daniels on the bench and things go sideways, you have to bring him in. You saw Nick Saban do it five years ago, and it won you a national championship if you're Alabama, changing Jalen Hurts for Tua Tonga Viola. If you are down in this game and you do not bring in JT Daniels, I think that is a, an unforgivable sin that Kirby Smart may never be able to recover from because it's one thing to lose a game. It's one thing to lose against the greatest dynasty in the history of the sport. But it is quite another, it's quite another to lose when you didn't do every single thing you could do to win. And so to me, that is the single most fascinating element of this game. I'm not rooting for anybody to fail. I don't want to see Stetson Bennett fail. I don't want to see Stetson Bennett not live up to expectations. I hope he has the greatest game of his life. But if he struggles early, Kirby Smart owes it to the other 84 guys in that locker room, to every coach on his staff, and to every Georgia fan, to at least see if JT Daniels is the spark that can, can get them back in that game. And so to me, that is the most interesting game. And as far as the legacy of Kirby Smart, that is the one thing that I do not think that he can recover from if he chooses not to play JT Daniels. So that first segment went way longer than I thought. I thought it was like a six, seven minute segment where at 21 minutes is what I want to do. I want to take a quick break. I want to come back. And I want to talk about what is on the line for Alabama. What does this game mean for Nick Saban? I'll make my national championship pick. And then from there, we'll talk a little Caleb Williams. I'll be right back. All right, we're going to get back to our college football national championship game preview in a minute. But again, tonight, national championship game. And our partners at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook have an incredible offer for first-time users. And yes, that includes all of you in New York as legalized mobile sports betting has come to New York. First-time offer, first-time users, incredible offer. Here's the deal. Pick one team. Do you like Georgia? Do you like Alabama? 
Make a $5 money line bet on either. All you got to do is pick them to win. No spread, no over-under, no this, no that. Just a $5 bet on either Alabama or Georgia to win. And if that team wins, you get $200 in free cash, courtesy of DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. It is the best offer going in sports betting. Here's how you take advantage. Click the link in the show description and sign up for a new account with DraftKings Sportsbook and make your first deposit. New York, I hear you. I know you want in. Click the link in the show description. Sign up for a new account. Make a $5 bet on either team. You like Bama, you bet Bama. You like Georgia, you like Georgia. Just $5 on either team. And if your team wins, you get an automatic $200 thanks to our friends at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. Again, it's the best offer going. Click the link in the show description. Take advantage now. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 again in Tennessee. Must be 21 plus or over to enter, 18 plus or over in Wyoming, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, New York, and Louisiana now only. Minimum $5 deposit, minimum $5 wager. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for full terms and conditions. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Thank you again to our partners at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. Great promo for tonight's game. If you are in a state with legalized sports betting, first-time users, bet $5 on either team to win the game. 200 in free cash. It doesn't get any better than that. Let's get back to the game, though, and let's talk about the Alabama perspective, and let's talk about what is at stake for Alabama today. And what I will tell you is this segment, I promise to be shorter than the last couple that I than the last one that I did on Georgia. And the reason why is simple. For Georgia, the conversation is much more interesting on both perspectives. If Georgia wins tonight, then it means this. But if Georgia loses tonight, it means that. With Alabama, it isn't that complicated, though. With Alabama, if Alabama were to lose, I think we all kind of have an understanding, oh, Nick Saban's still the greatest. The greatest of our generation. I would argue the greatest of all time. I don't think anybody is going to wake up on Tuesday morning and make the argument, Nick Saban's over the hill, Nick Saban's overrated, Nick Saban's this, Nick Saban's that. No. Great game, great team, great program, greatest coach of all time. There really isn't all that much at stake if Nick Saban were to lose this game. But if Nick Saban were to win this game, if Nick Saban were to win his eighth national championship, seventh at Alabama, I would argue that this is the single greatest season of Nick Saban's career, that he has done the single greatest coaching job of Nick Saban's career. Not saying it's his best team, not saying it's his most dominant team, not even saying it's his most talented team, but I would argue this is the best coaching job of Nick Saban's career. And there are two definitive reasons why, and the first one let's get into, it's kind of the 30,000-foot view of where college football is right now, this second in 2022, And I've talked about it before, but let me reiterate it here because I think it's so important it's worth mentioning. Every single rule that is currently in place in college football and every single trend and everything going on in the sport is actually being put in place and should be, in theory, limiting a program like Alabama, limiting 
a dynasty in the 2020s into the 2021-2022 time frame. Every single thing that is going on in college football right now really is kind of in place where we really shouldn't have a program like Alabama that is awesome every single year, great every single year, unbeatable every single year, and basically came into the college football forefront in 2008 and has, has not taken a step back yet. Because think about it. Think about everything that is going on in college football right now and think about how it impacts the program. First of all, I know this has changed a little bit over the last year or so, but there are scholarship limits. And, and, and again, it was 25. It's now you know up to 32 because of the transfer portal stuff, but you got to lose guys to gain guys. But the point I'm trying to make is this, is that one, Nick Saban is coaching in the scholarship limit era. This isn't 100 years ago where you could bring in as many guys as you want. This isn't the 80s and early 90s where you had 35 scholarships and you could have over 100 guys on scholarships and you could stack player on player on player on player. This era, again, I know it's changed over the last year or so, but 25 per class, it's what we call a hard cap. Can't bring in more than that. You lose guys. Too bad. So sad. Move on. Secondly, this is the transfer portal era. This is an era where the last three, four, five years, guys are not waiting. Guys are not sitting behind. Guys are not, guys are not coming to a place like Alabama, although Alabama may be the exception, and saying, I want to wait until year four to step on the field. I want to sit behind multiple NFL guys at my position, learn, get better every day in practice, and I'm willing to wait three years to get on the field. Now, Alabama, it's a little bit different. Alabama this year, they have a guy like Brian Robinson, their starting running back, who sat behind Najee Harris, who sat behind Damian Harris. But for the most part, that's not happening other places. Biggest problem with Clemson right now they can't keep their backups. They have no depth because guys are coming into the program. They're not playing and they're bouncing. Ohio State has had a few transfers this offseason. Oklahoma has dealt with it. Um, USC has certainly dealt with it. You go on and on down the list. Everybody is losing transfers. Nick Saban has figured out a way where it doesn't affect his program. Three, and I've talked about this before, but again, everybody has the same resources. You want to know what happened about 30, 35 years ago that allowed Nebraska to become a great college football program that allowed other programs to be a great college football program, they had access to stuff that nobody else did. First of all, the reason that Nebraska, Oklahoma, Miami, Penn State, one or two other programs were great in the early you know, 80s, 90s, 2000s, is because they were the only ones on TV. There was one national TV game a week, two national TV games a week, whatever it was. Nobody else was on TV. And so if you wanted to be on TV, if you wanted to play at the highest level, you wanted to compete at the highest level, you had to go to one, two, three schools. Nebraska, part of the reason, and I've talked about this before, I believe, I know I've written about it, part of the reason that Nebraska was able to elevate itself as a football program in the 70s, 80s, 90s, they were just ahead of the trends on everything that had to do with player development, player you know, physiology, whatever. You can look this up. They were the first school with a full strength and full-time strength and conditioning coach, a coach who was dedicated strictly to strength and conditioning. They were the first school that had a full-time nutritionist. I believe they were the first school to have more than one full-time strength and conditioning coach. And so I bring it up because they just, because of money, because they were on TV, because they had more resources than everybody else, they were able to do stuff that nobody else did. And that's not a knock on Nebraska. I'm not saying they don't deserve what they got in the early 2000s or early 90s when they won three straight national, three championships in four years. But what I am saying is, Alabama is currently in the era where everyone has access to everything, okay? There is so much money in this sport 
that in Alabama, a Florida, a Georgia, an Ohio State, a Michigan, they can't just outspend everybody, okay? Think about where we are in college football right now, where Michigan State just paid $9.5 million a year to a coach with 18 career wins. 9.5 a year, 95 guaranteed, 18 career wins. How about a sport where Brian Kelly can leave Notre Dame because he has almost $100 million guaranteed at LSU? A sport where... Um, you know, uh, Purdue is paying its football coach five, six million dollars a year. Minnesota is paying a seven, eight win football coach six, seven million dollars a year. Penn State gave James Franklin 75 million in extension money off of a seven and six season. That is the world we live in. You can't just outspend everybody. You can't out whatever everybody. And I would take it a step further. It's trickled down not just to the head coaches, but to the entire support staff as well. It used to be Nick Saban had this crazy staff with all these analysts and all of this and all of that. Well, guess what? You know who else has a million analysts now? Ohio State. Ohio State, when they started struggling this year, they actually took their defensive coordinator off play calling duties. They made him a walk-around defensive coordinator, and they put more on the analysts to get the team ready to actually play on Saturdays. And that's not just at Ohio State. That's not just at USC. That's not just at Oklahoma. Think about all the trickle-down. Think about the fact that right now in college football, Georgia has a former Alabama assistant that is basically putting in the Alabama blueprint in Athens. That Miami has a former Alabama assistant putting the Alabama blueprint in at Miami. That Florida, that Texas with Steve Sarkeesian, that Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, that Maryland, all these schools are trying to do what Nick Saban does. And he's the only one doing it, that, you know, Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M. And he's the only one, and he's still beating all of them, except, of course, for Jimbo Fisher this year, but you get the point. And four, and I think this is a huge part that we need to appreciate about Nick Saban. He's doing this in an era with all these extra games, with all these extra landmines, where it, it would be so easy to just lose a game here, lose a game here, cost yourself here, cost yourself there. Think about it. Think about the fact that as recently as 20 years ago, 20 years ago, 2001 Miami Hurricanes, some say the greatest team in college football history, I would argue they are. They won the national championship, they went 12-0. 11 regular season games, no conference championship, one bowl game that served as a national championship game, okay? Now think about what Alabama is doing in the college football playoff era. 12 regular season games. And you better play a big one to start the year. This year, Alabama played Miami. In the past, they've played Michigan, Wisconsin, West Virginia, whatever. Go through a full eight-game SEC schedule. Then you have an SEC championship game. Then you have two college football playoff games, 15 games in most seasons. And he's still winning. And he's still beating everybody else. It is incredible. Every single thing that has been put in place is supposed to be stopping one team from elevating that much higher than the sport. Yet here we are. Here we are with Nick Saban competing for another national championship. But what I would say is that doesn't fully explain why this would be his greatest season ever. I still think he is doing it in an era where it is tougher to do it than ever before. But that doesn't explain why 2021 going into 2022 will go down as his greatest season ever if he wins a national championship. And that reason why is simple. This was not the team that Nick Saban was supposed to do this with. And I understand it's Alabama and every year they're going to be in the mix. But think about every single thing that they lost off last year's national championship team. They lose a starting quarterback in Mac Jones 
that is now going to the playoffs for the New England Patriots. They lose Najee Harris, a first-round running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers. They lose Devontae Smith, the Heisman Trophy winner, who, if I'm not mistaken, just set a NFL record for receptions as a first-year wide receiver. They lose Jalen Waddle, top 10 pick. They lose their starting left tackle. They lose several key players on defense. And so when I look at this team compared to all others, in the playoff era, with the extra game, with all the extra things that come with it, with the fact that now Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, USC, Oklahoma, whoever, Texas, can compete with you financially. They're doing it in a year where they've lost as much talent to the NFL as any program ever, and certainly any Nick Saban program ever. I mean... If you want to talk about his greatest coaching performances, I, I think you can obviously go back to 2009, his first national championship, where they win the national championship in his third year as the head coach. But here's the thing. That year, first of all, there was no college football playoff. There was only one college football, uh, you know, a BCS championship game. But two, they actually returned the core of most of the team from the year before. Yeah, the quarterback was gone, John Parker Wilson. Greg McElroy was in. But they returned Mark Ingram. They returned Julio Jones. They returned Rolando McLean on defense. They returned a bunch of guys on defense. So, so that one I don't think you can say is definitively more impressive than this one if Nick Saban were to win. I don't think you can say any other ones were either. Because after that, he's got it rolling. After that, the process is in place. After that, you have veterans. A.J. McCarron, you have this, you have this, you have this. This year, you lose six first-round picks, including a starting quarterback, including the two top wide receivers, arguably in college football. You lose your offensive coordinator to Texas. He takes most of, your, of his staff with you. And this is what you're left with. First-year coordinator, first-year quarterback who has never played meaningful snaps at Alabama, and a bunch of skill position players that haven't played, including a wide receiver that didn't get there till the spring. And so to me, I will argue to my death, if Nick Saban were to win this national championship, it would go down as the greatest championship of his career and the greatest season of his career if he wins on Monday night. All right, finally, you know what time it is? It's time to make my college football national championship pick, and it's funny, I was going to take a quick break, but then I thought about it, and I just said, you know what? We've been watching these teams for 15 weeks now, okay? We've been watching them back to Labor Day weekend, which seems like a million years ago. We've been talking about them at the very least on the national level on this show since SEC Media Days in July. We've been talking about these teams plenty, I don't need any more buildup. I don't need a break. I don't need this. I don't need that. And so let's just get into it because we know these teams. I don't need to do the 45-minute breakdown. Let's make a national championship pick. And my national championship pick is, drum roll please, it pains me to do this. I'm picking the Alabama Crimson Tide to beat Georgia. How about my dogs? How about my dogs? I'm picking Alabama to win the national championship game. And yes, I'm not going to lie. In my heart of hearts, it does pain me. And in my heart of hearts, I wanted to do what I believed was the right thing, which was stick with my preseason national championship pick. I picked Georgia in August. I got to stick with them. I got to stay with them. Fight till the end. How about my dogs? But I can't. On top of that, I wanted to pick against Alabama because I have been saying since probably the Florida game, and certainly at the very least the Ole Miss game, this is not a vintage Bama team. This is not one of the great Nick Saban teams that we have ever seen all-time 
as I just said a minute ago, as to why I think this could go down as the greatest win of Nick Saban's career, or the greatest season at the very least of Nick Saban's career. But at the end of the day, the one thing I always try to do, I always try to be honest with you guys and girls, I always try to tell you how I think things are going to be, I try not to have an agenda, and while it would be easy for me to pick Georgia, be easy for me to stick with what I decided back in August, what do I always say? We're doing the show tonight, we have new information, and I got to do what I truly believe is go. I got to share what I truly believe is going to happen. And I believe Alabama is going to win the national championship game. And here's a few reasons why. OK, admittedly, I know that Alabama did not look great, not only during the regular season. They didn't look great last week during the college football playoff game as well against Cincinnati. But what I would also say is I told you this last week. I don't really care how they played against Cincinnati because I don't think the goal was ever to put up style points in the college football playoff. I think Alabama knew that physically uh, Cincinnati did not have the same caliber of player than them, and this wasn't a game where you're going to air it out. It's not a game where Bryce Young is going to embarrass Luke Fickle. It is a game where you are going to play to your strengths and almost use the college football playoff as a tune-up for the title game for either Georgia or Michigan, whoever you're going to play. Don't put too much on tape. Don't let anybody risk injury. Run the ball right at them. Don't make, don't let Bryce Young make too many plays. Don't force too much on his plate. And so one, I don't really care that Alabama didn't look great. Two, I do though have to go back to the game before. And I do think this Alabama team is uniquely built to beat this Georgia team. Again, there was a reason that Alabama did not throw the ball all over the field against Cincinnati like they did against Georgia. One, they didn't have to. But two, in many ways, Cincinnati was actually better equipped to beat Alabama's greatest strength, which is the pass game. Cincinnati has two potential first-round cover corners in their secondary. Kobe Bryant, yes, that's his name, and Sauce Gardner, okay? They have two potential first-rounders. They had a better pass defense. They turned the ball over more. They had more interceptions. That Cincinnati team was uniquely built to shut down the Alabama pass defense in a way that Georgia wasn't. Georgia's weakness, dating back to the summer, was cornerback. In the summer, if you remember, I think I talked about this, Georgia took two or three transfers in the summer to fortify this team. And one of them was Darion Kendrick, a player who got thrown off of Clemson's football team because of a weapon situation. And Kirby Smart took him because he knew he needed help at cornerback. And so I don't think that all of a sudden, and by the way, I'm not saying that Georgia doesn't have future NFL guys all over their secondary, but when you're picking apart two great teams, you look for whatever potential weakness is there. And I think the closest thing that Georgia's defense has to a weakness is in the secondary, which directly coincides with Alabama's greatest strength, which is Bryce Young just chucking the ball downfield. And so because of that, when you look at this incredible Georgia run and you look at this incredible Georgia season, what is the one thing that everybody that they played had in common except for Alabama? It was that there was no great quarterbacks. And so I'm not saying that Georgia doesn't deserve to be here, that they were overrated. I I don't believe any of that. But what I do believe, and I do think this is important, they didn't face anyone in all those games where they looked so dominant. They didn't face anyone Anywhere close to the caliber of Bryce Young. Think about all the big games they played. Clemson, 
DJ Uyghonlele is not Bryce Young. Michigan in the college football playoff. Cade McNamara is certainly not Bryce Young. No disrespect to KJ Jefferson in Arkansas. He's not Bryce Young. Will Levis at Kentucky is not Bryce Young. And so when I bring it up, I just don't think Georgia is going to be able to make the stops necessary against Alabama. And I don't think Alabama is going to throw the ball a million times the way they did in the SEC championship game. But they only got to hit a couple big ones. But then on the other side, here's where I'm really concerned about Georgia and why I just I can't pick them. It's because not only is Alabama uniquely built to stop, to, to score on Georgia's defense, to limit what their defensive line can do because the, the best way to wear down a defensive line is to go tempo, is to throw the ball deep, is to do this, is to do that. I think you got to look at the other side of the ball as well. And I know I said following that game, I know I said in the preview show on Friday that Georgia has to stick to its guns. They can't stop running the ball if they fall down early. They can't get nervous. But I also think it is worth noting that Alabama, I believe, is uniquely built to slow Georgia down on defense. When they're on defense and Georgia's on offense. Because what have I been saying about Alabama? When I said Alabama, this is not a vintage Alabama team, what did I say? I said, here are the reasons why it's not a vintage Alabama team. The O-line hasn't figured it out. Well, last two, three weeks, it feels like they figured it out. The secondary is Alabama's weakness. They give up big plays in the passing game. They gave up big plays to K.J. Jefferson in Arkansas in the passing game. They gave up big plays to Hendon Hooker in Tennessee in the passing game. Georgia can't pass the ball. Georgia wants to run the ball and establish the line of scrimmage. But here's the thing. We talked about Georgia's defensive line the entire year. You know who else has an awesome defensive line? It's Alabama. You know who actually finished second behind Wisconsin in rush yards allowed in rush defense this year? It wasn't Georgia. It was Alabama. And so when I look at this game, I don't think anybody realized we spent all this time talking about Georgia's defensive front for good reason. It's awesome. Statistically, Alabama's defensive front is better. And so I don't think it's just going to be one of these games where Georgia couldn't run the ball last time, but they'll figure it out. I, like They're not going to figure it out because nobody's figured out how to run the ball against Alabama this week. And so because of that, you know what that means? You're now putting the pressure on Stetson Bennett once again to make plays. And I talked about it in the lead-up to the SEC championship game. And I talked about it after the SEC championship game. And I talked about it in the lead-up to the Michigan game last week for Georgia. I just don't think Stetson Bennett's a guy you can win a national championship with. And I said it on last show. I know it's funny, like, like, but last week started with this narrative, can you win a national championship with a game manager? And then it was a narrative, oh, he's not a game. He's a game manager. And in the three games against the three best quarterbacks that Stetson Bennett has faced in his career, what happened? Last year against Mac Jones, L. Last year against Kyle Trask, L. That was when last year we realized, oh, you can't win a national championship with this guy. Then what happens? He comes back. He gets the job from JT Daniels during the season, and he takes a loss to the best quarterback he's seen since Kyle Trask last year, and that's Bryce Young. And so at the end of the day, I could go on and on. I could keep breaking down. I could do this. I could do that. Here's the deal. Here's the bottom line. Here's what you need to know is that there's one team that has the better coach and the better quarterback. 
And so I could spend 45 minutes breaking down if, if Georgia's pulling its offensive guard and what happens when they drop a save. No. We all watch football every single Saturday, every single Sunday, every single Thursday night, every single Friday night we watch college football or high school football. How often in big games that matter, I'm not talking about week seven of the NFL. I'm talking about games that matter, playoff games, college football playoff games, conference championship games, national championship games. How often does the team that has the clear coaching advantage and the clear quarterback position advantage lose games? It's not that many, and because of it, Alabama is my 2022 national champion. It pains me. Been rooting for the dogs all year. How about my dogs? I just, I don't know what else there is to say. Quarterback advantage, coaching advantage, give me Bama 32-17. All right, this is what I want to do. I do want to take a quick break. I have one quick Caleb Williams thought. I don't even know if I should do it. It feels like a day to just talk national championship. But Caleb Williams remains the biggest story in the sport. Uh, Obviously, we'll monitor Jim Harbaugh as well. But Caleb Williams, I have one thought on why you should be rooting for one school to sign Caleb Williams. That's coming up next. All right, everybody. I am back. Final time today. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, I was going to wrap with the College Football National Championship game. I was going to wrap with... Um, I was going to wrap with Alabama, Georgia, Kirby, Nick Saban. But I figured before I get out of here, I did want to do one quick little segment on Caleb Williams. Because to me, Caleb Williams remains one of the single most fascinating stories that we've seen in recent college football history, maybe as long as I've been following the sport. And what do I always tell you guys? I don't love the, 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 the parts of this job that I love. I don't necessarily love breaking down games. Third quarter, this happened, blah, 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 this, that. I like stories. I like interesting. Colin Cowherd always says, Colin is obviously a friend of mine. I've been on his show. But Colin always says, I'm in the interesting business. I'm not in the news-breaking business. I'm not in the whatever. I'm in the interesting business. And to me, Caleb Williams is the single most interesting story that we've seen for many, many, many years in college bas- in college football, excuse me, for two different reasons. One, he's just a really, really good football player. And we all know that wherever he chooses, he immediately changes the face of the program that he joins. If he go if he first of all he comes back to Oklahoma, they're right back in the mix as the favorite in the Big 12 next year, college football playoff contender. If he goes to USC, changes that program. If he goes to Georgia, he's the guy that puts him over the top potentially to compete next year with Alabama for a national championship. If he goes to Auburn, LSU, Florida, whoever, he's the guy that will elevate that program in a way that they're not currently in elevated at all. So one, that is the fascinating part. Where does he go? Because it's just interesting. But two, I think it's fascinating for this reason. I think through no fault of his own, and I am not blaming Caleb Williams, I said last episode, two episodes ago, I said this is the world that we've created for him, and he should take advantage of every opportunity that's afforded him. Not every player can enter the transfer portal and and pursue his options and be pursued by everybody in college football. Caleb Williams can, and he should take advantage of it. But he is interesting because I believe that he is the face for what the new world of college sports will look like 
And I think people are starting to get uncomfortable with it. And it's so funny because I've been talking for years. I've been talking on this show about the ripple effects of the one-time transfer. Not saying players shouldn't be able to leave. Not saying that once you commit to a school, you're locked in for life. But my stance on this has been pretty straightforward from the beginning. I've always said, if your coach leaves, you should be able to leave and go wherever you want. And if not, you should have to sit out a year. Otherwise, we have complete chaos. And so Caleb Williams is kind of an example of what that rule would look like. Coach leaves, he should pursue other options. He shouldn't feel like he has to stay at Oklahoma. I don't believe everybody should be able to leave every time they want. But you have that now, and you also have it at the time of NIL. And so I think for the first time, people that don't cover college sports like me 365 days a year aren't on these campuses, aren't talking to these head coaches, aren't talking to these assistant coaches, aren't talking to these ops people. They're finally starting to see what I've been telling you for years, is that if we have one-time transfer rule with name image likeness, it could get really crazy really quick, and Caleb Williams, fair or not, is the poster boy of it. Because Caleb Williams decides to leave Oklahoma, and again, I believe that he should. And now he can go literally anywhere, including he could just go to the highest bidder. We saw the story, Charlie Batch, Eastern Michigan just said, come here, we'll give you a million dollars. And so I think because of it, Caleb Williams is now fascinating for this reason. He is fascinating because he, people are finally starting to see what the future of college sports could look like if we don't put some sort of regulations on transfers, and some sort of regulations on NIL, something that Nick Saban and Kirby Smart both talked about in the lead-up to the national championship game. And so this is a really, really, really long-winded way of me saying one thing about Caleb Williams, a thought that I had. I don't know what Caleb Williams is going to do. I don't know where he's going to go. I'm fascinated to find out, and I'll probably talk about it a lot on this show until he makes a decision. But I bring it up to say one thing. If you are a fan of college sports... If you are a fan of college sports the way that they were, you should be rooting for Caleb Williams to go to one of two places. You should either be rooting for him to go to Oklahoma, return to Oklahoma, or you should be rooting for him to go to USC. Because if not, I do think it can create, at least perception-wise, a very slippery slope and very concern about what the future of college sports looks like. So let me explain why. And again, to be clear, these are the rules that we put in place. Caleb Williams is taking advantage. I don't blame him. But if you like college sports the way that they were, if you think that there needs to be just some sort of guardrails on transfers and NIL, not saying you can't have them, but there have to be rules put in place and guardrails and restrictions, then you should be rooting for Oklahoma or USC, and let me explain why. First of all, you should be rooting for Oklahoma because, one, I actually thought it was the best option. I don't blame Caleb Williams for entering the portal, but I kind of believed that Caleb Williams, probably his best option was actually returning to Oklahoma. Now, I don't believe that's going to happen now because they took Dylan Gabriel out of the portal. Dylan Gabriel is a really established quarterback. He wouldn't beat out Caleb Williams, but it's not as though Caleb Williams has this very direct, very linear path back to starting at Oklahoma. And so because of that, because Caleb Williams does not have that direct path, I don't believe he'll come back. But if you love college sports the way that they were, if you want to believe that every single guy should be about the name on the front of the jersey, not a name on the back, then yeah, you should root for him to come back to Oklahoma. And by the way, I would say this, as I said on last week's show, if I was advising Caleb Williams, I would actually said, stay at Oklahoma this year, and you can always transfer next year if it doesn't work out when Ohio State and Alabama will be available and they'll need starting quarterbacks. 
With that said, I don't think he's coming back to Oklahoma. And so to me, I think everybody should be rooting for one thing. They should be rooting for Caleb Williams to go to USC. And it's not for the reasons that you think. It's not because of the idea that, well, if Caleb Williams goes to USC, uh, USC's back. No, they're not back. They have a long way to go. Caleb Williams is awesome. Caleb Williams will elevate that program. They will become one of the better teams in the Pac-12. But with Caleb Williams, USC is not catching Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame, Oklahoma even next season. But the reason you should root for Caleb Williams to go to USC is this. is because after he entered the transfer portal, Caleb Williams' dad said one thing. What did he say? He said, we are going to do what is best for our son's future. We are going to send him to the place that is going to be best and prepare him best for his future, which is in the NFL. You go to college to learn a trade. His trade is playing quarterback. We want to put him in a place where he is going to learn that position better than anybody else and be better prepared to be the number one pick in the 2023 NFL draft, which is where he was projected in 2024, I guess, NFL draft, which is where he was projected to be from the beginning. And so if Caleb Williams chooses USC, it might be a little bit because of NIL. It might be a little bit because he can't go back to Oklahoma. It might be for a number of different reasons. But at the end of the day, it's for the reason that I think we're all okay with. It's for develop. Yeah, you don't want him to see him leave Oklahoma. But if he's going to leave Oklahoma, you got to go to the place that really is going to best develop you, go to the coach that you committed to play for, and go to the place that is probably going to elevate you and turn you into the best player that you can be. That is why you should root for USC. Because if he chooses anywhere else, then I do think it starts to become the slippery slope of Caleb Williams had an awesome freshman season, his coach left, and whether it's fair or not, the perception will be that he just went to the highest bidder if he goes anywhere else. I'm not saying that's what will happen, but we all kind of know the stories that are going on right now, right? We know the story about Texas A&M and what may or may not have happened, how they get that number one recruiting class. We all saw that story. Well, think about if Caleb Williams goes anywhere other than USC. Let's say Caleb Williams goes to Georgia. Love my dogs. How about my dogs? I flipped a lot of the dogs back and forth throughout this show. But if he goes to Georgia, let's be honest. I'm not accusing Georgia of anything. I'm not saying they did anything wrong. But if he goes to Georgia, we all know that's not the best place for him to develop as a quarterback, right? We all understand that they had Justin Fields and couldn't figure it out and he had to transfer. We all understand that they brought in JT Daniels. He actually balled out last year, gets hurt this year, and they refused to put him back in. And so if Caleb Williams goes to Georgia, maybe they really do sell him on, you are the best guy to put us over the top and win a national championship. But I think if Caleb Williams and his camp really care about his development, his overall whatever, are you really going to send him to Georgia? Are you really going to send him to the place that Justin Fields had to transfer from? You don't think Justin Fields got the same pitch four or five years ago? You're going to be the guy, and then you weren't. You don't think JT Daniels got the same pitch? You were going to be the guy, and then he wasn't. And so if Caleb Williams goes to Georgia, isn't it going to feel like, well, what really? I mean, he's not going there because it's the best place to develop as a quarterback. He's going because something else may have happened. Not accusing Kirby Smart of anything. I'm just telling you that's going to be the perception. If he goes to Auburn, there's some Auburn buzz right now. Auburn ain't built to win a national championship. Come on. Auburn ain't anywhere close. Auburn might be, they're at best, they're what? The fourth best program in the SEC West right now? Because they're not Alabama, and they're not Texas A&M. 
I don't think you can make an argument that they're Ole Miss, which is coming off a 10-win season. I don't think you can argue they're as stable as Arkansas right now coming off a 9-win season. So if he goes to Auburn, we all know what it's really about. It's not about the best place to develop him. Who, what quarterbacks did Brian Harson develop at the level of Caleb Williams? Nobody. There's not a national championship team in place there and they just need a quarterback. He'd be going there for probably some other reasons. And it's the same with everywhere else. If he goes to LSU, the LSU, we saw what they look like in that bowl game against Kansas State. They're a million years away from competing. Brian Kelly can't close on anybody in Louisiana right now. Whoever else, I don't know who else would be in the mix here, but I'm bringing it up to just say this. If you love college sports the way that it is, assuming that Caleb Williams isn't being recruited by your team, you should be rooting for Caleb Williams to go to USC. Because if he goes to USC, then it's for the quote-unquote right reasons. It's for the, the, the decision to get developed. It's for the decision. It's, for, it's the old cliche. It's a 40-year decision. It's not a four-year decision. Same with Oklahoma, where he's comfortable, where he knows everybody, where he's this, where he's that. I don't think he's going back to Oklahoma. You want him to choose USC because if he doesn't and he goes somewhere else, then it's probably about NIL. It's probably about the highest bidder. And what's going to keep the next guy from doing the same? And maybe you don't care. Me? I'll tell you. I don't really care because I told you five years ago, if you put in NIL with no cap, bad th- you know, it's going to get crazy really quick. That's exactly what's happening. But I think if you like college sports the way that it is, it'll be fascinating to see what Caleb Williams decides to do. All right. I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I think it's time for me to get out of here. Before we do, I want to make sure that you guys are subscribed. Apple, Spotify, Google Music, Amazon Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Make sure you're following our team-specific accounts at Torres on UConn, at Torres on UK, at Torres on the Hogs, on and on. And oh, by the way, check out Aaron Torres online.com slash merchandise get your revenge tour t-shirt get your big pig invasion t-shirt on and on and on and on and on that is all for today's show i think i gotta get out of here it's time to go shout out to torrent craig shout out to rachel who hates my voice shout out to nick saban who's gonna win a national championship tonight i will be back on tuesday so remember different schedule this week monday tuesday friday with a new episode of the aerator sports podcast with Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.